In 2019, the city of Athens, Ohio was thriving. The economy was really doing well. I mean, it just seemed like it was um, on an upward trajectory. We were fortunate in that we had some new local businesses come into Athens. This is Steve Patterson. I am the mayor of Athens, Ohio. Athens is located in southeast Ohio, and it is home to The Ohio University, which is the oldest university in the Northwest Territory, been in existence since 1804. There has always been a significant amount of revenue generated by the university, uh, and I would contend that some of that also coming from students who are working full-time but also taking classes at OU. Then the COVID-19 pandemic shut down campuses across the country. A large number of students left Athens, and with their departure... We permanently lost a number of smaller uh, mom-and-pop stores in the city's uptown area. And it wasn't just Athens. Mayor Patterson is the former vice chair of the National League of Cities University Council. And he heard similar stories from other government leaders in college towns, like Granville, Ohio. It's in a very small village of less than 5,000 population, but is home to Denison University, which again is a small private university. And the city manager of Granville was telling me, you know, I just watched seven storefronts close over the course of the past six or seven months within an already small, small village. And it really caused me to pause and think, you know, the pandemic to a lot of cities, that was a very similar theme but I think that we're, we saw it a, a little bit more in college towns because by nature, a college town's economy, your own local economy, does operate on a population that you expect to be there nine months out of the year. Now that more students have returned to campus, Athens may look more like it did in 2019. But Mayor Patterson said some changes are here to stay. The university or colleges themselves are really now starting to reassess how much bricks and mortar do we actually need? I think you are going to see a big transition in remote workers when it comes to certain areas or certain administrative departments within universities and and colleges as well in rethinking things. I think uh, you're going to see a real assessment of regional campuses. I can see some of them looking at private public partnerships, maybe bringing in some corporate partners who want to also have a presence on that regional campus, or things of that nature. The question is, as universities begin making these decisions, how will that affect what colleges look like in the future? Higher Ed Rewired is a production of the California State University, the largest, most diverse four-year public university system in the country, and an engine of social and economic mobility. Each episode examines groundbreaking research and exciting innovations taking place across the nation that are transforming the pathways for student success. This is Higher Ed Rewired. I'm Michael Wiafe. I'm a San Diego State University alumnus and past president of the Cal State Student Association. Today, we'll explore what the post-COVID campus might look like through four perspectives. First, we'll hear from the president of Ohio University about how recent enrollment shifts may affect which programs universities expand. 
Then, I'll talk about the future of remote classes with two students, one who believes that they may have hindered his career preparation, and another who sees them as an equity issue for certain students. Finally, I'll talk to a professor about the benefits and challenges of remote instruction, and what she thinks college classes will look like moving forward. At the top of the episode, I spoke with the mayor of Athens, Ohio, about some of the issues colleges and college towns are facing. But I also wanted to hear from a university leader, someone who's making difficult calls in response to those challenges. My name is Hugh Sherman, and I'm the president of Ohio University. President Sherman says that the shift from in-person to remote instruction wasn't that challenging for Ohio University faculty, because a lot of them already had experience with hybrid and remote classes. However, like many institutions during the pandemic, Ohio University experienced a decline in student enrollment, especially on their satellite or regional campuses, and among specific student populations. So on our regional campuses, we have five in the Appalachian region. And those communities were hit hard in terms of employment. And the majority of our students have jobs, most of them full-time, and they have families. So we also saw a decline, you know, of their ability to, to enroll in classes, right? They were much more focused on their own families and on their specific jobs and so forth. On the Athens campus, we saw a dip in certain populations. So We saw a dip in uh, first-gen students and students of color. President Sherman says that the enrollment at Ohio University has improved since the beginning of the pandemic. In fact, enrollment in 2021 was 17% higher than in 2020. But there's still room for improvement. And he says one of his team's strategies to increase enrollment was to strengthen the university's professional programs. Over 30% of our students now are involved in healthcare. Um, Our business school has doubled in size over the last five or six years. So we're emphasizing the programs that we are really excellent at. And of course, it's where students are going today, which is professional programs. So it's engineering, it's business, it's healthcare. According to a recent poll from the Education Data Initiative, the most popular fields for bachelor's degree candidates are business and health professions. Together, they represent 31% of bachelor's degrees in 2021. And while Ohio University has returned to in-person classes, President Sherman says some remote options for professional programs like these will continue. Large universities, I think, will all be in the same position where, you know, we will offer options, right? So we have a professional MBA program that's very large. Those students are doing their work remotely with synchronous classes. However, they're required to come back to campus for workshops. They're like three-day workshops. So those programs will continue. But in the end, President Sherman believes that the best experience for students is still on-campus learning. I really think that part of the value is having them on the campus and getting them involved in doing research for real clients or working in a laboratory for a researcher in biotech or medicine or whatever it is. So that part of what we offer, you know, as as a service line, that, that will always be in person. Remote classes proved essential where local governments prohibited in-person gatherings. But once pandemic restrictions were lifted across the country, universities had to decide whether or not to keep remote classes as a permanent option. And I spoke with two students who have some thoughts on this. 
My name's uh, Andres Kouliou, and I go to uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and I'm a third-year civil engineering student. For Kouliou, remote civil engineering classes left much to be desired. We didn't get to do a lot of our labs in person. So, like, uh, I would have had classes where it's, like, mechanics and materials where you're messing around with, like, different metals and uh, polymers and different stuff to see how they react. Or a year ago, I would have been pouring concrete um, for a class and designing concrete and stuff like that. But instead of actually getting to do that, we just get to do, like, the, the paperwork for it. But you don't actually get the hands-on experience. Like, kind of walking out in the future, do you think it affects how much experience you might be able to, to offer? Or do you feel like it's kind of comparable or you're learning something else in lieu of that? I feel like I should still have the knowledge that's necessary to do some of the stuff, but it, it will be my first time like actually doing some of the stuff in the field, potentially. As Kuyu's experience shows, the time students missed in the lab impacts their professional preparation, and that could affect their job prospects after graduation. Kuyu also says that remote learning frustrated him at times. Because you'll have the Zoom lectures that you're in for, like, the live uh, presentations. And then sometimes they'll try and break into, like, breakout Zooms to try and do some collaboration. And then sometimes you get uh, good groups. And then sometimes you get with, like, a group of four other people. And they all just have the the cameras off and the muted and all that. And uh, you'd see teachers just posting the lectures that are literally, like, a year old. And you can see, like, spring quarter 2019. It's, like, 2020. So sometimes they just don't really update the material very well. In your opinion, should schools completely revert back to in-person classes um, once it's safe to do so? Or do you think that they should continue to offer remote and hybrid options? I think they should do mostly in-person, but probably still offer some hybrid stuff for some people or online stuff. Because I feel like there's probably some people that definitely benefit from the online aspect of it. So if they're interested in that and they feel safer, I feel like... They should be able to do that, but I feel like it should mostly be in person. Kuyu brings up a fair point. Some students don't feel safe attending in-person classes. They might be immunocompromised or have disabilities that make in-person learning difficult. For these folks, providing remote classes can be an issue of equity. Disabled people have been asking for and hoping for these accommodations for forever. Like, seeing that wave of accessibility and then taking it away when they see all of the equity that it brings. It was just so, and is so, insulting. This is Christopher Economou. I go to the University of California, Los Angeles, and I'm a third year studying communications and disability studies. Economou is a member of the UCLA Disabled Student Union. And when the university announced its decision to end remote classes in 2021, the group protested. We wrote out a very thorough statement We created a petition on change.org and we communicated with the COVID Response and Recovery Task Force at UCLA um, about, you know, the importance of remote options. The five things that we had asked for was one, the recording of classes to have a remote option for students to dial in online if they can't attend for whatever reason. And providing accurate and accessible closed captioning on Zoom meetings as well as any recordings that are uploaded to the course websites because it's against the ADA to not provide accurate closed captioning for everybody. For Economu, eliminating remote options has a personal impact because he has Marfan syndrome. It's a genetic connective tissue disorder, which affects the elasticity of connective tissue. 
basically instead of being normal, quote unquote, it is more elasticy and more prone to spontaneous breakage. So, for example, spontaneous breakage within the heart, which can be life threatening.、Um, so, I get fatigued very easily. And then another aspect that affects me in my everyday life is my visual impairment. So. I'm only seeing through a portion of my eye,、uh, a portion of my lens, rather than the entire thing like a typical person would. I've been to UCLA. That is not an easy campus to get around on physically. There's hills, there's stairs. How else does it affect your academic experience? I've always had physical limitations, but those physical limitations faced with such a physically inaccessible campus really. I started identifying with the term disabled upon coming to UCLA because of that environment. It was really exhausting physically and mentally, kind of just going to class and then being expe- expected after 50 minutes of chemistry to walk back to my dorm. It's just like you you lose your morale, right? Or, for example, something I've I've struggled with my whole life is even if I sit in the front row, I can't see the board. Like in one of my classes, one of my professors is. A bit of an old guy,、um, and is like computers hurt your brain when you're taking notes. So I want you to write physical notes, and I'm like, great. Well, my fingers are hypermobile, and I can't see the board, so that's fantastic. Remote classes helped Economou keep up with the material and take more courses, but he also points out that some aspects of remote learning benefited all students. The fact that many college students had the opportunity to attend college without having to pay for housing in the same way that you would have to at UCLA—that was incredible.、Um, if you're a commuter, just in regular times, like before COVID, I don't want to drive 45 minutes to go to a class that's 50 minutes and then drive back in traffic and waste friggin' 20 bucks of gas to just get one class, right? Like students who work,、um, students who have children. Stuff like that, like it's not just disabled students who would benefit from remote options. What we can see from Kuyu and Economu is that students have different learning preferences and needs. Universities need to figure out how to accommodate both types of students, and faculty can take steps towards being inclusive of diverse learning needs in an online environment. However, administrators also have to consider the needs of those teaching the courses, the faculty. It's early 2020. California State University Fullerton is in the process of transitioning their learning management system, or LMS, to a program called Canvas. They're holding Zoom information sessions to instruct faculty, but the director of one session doesn't have a real class example to demonstrate. And so I very tentatively put in the chat, "I have a class I can show," and I thought, "Oh, should I really send this?" And so I clicked that button and. Immediately was met with yes, please show us your class. This is Kelly Rupert. She's a part-time lecturer at Cal State Fullerton and a full-time geology professor at Coastline College. Rupert had worked for a software company for 13 years, and she taught online classes at Coastline College for 11 years. So she says her tech skills are pretty strong. So I did like a five-minute demo of one of my fully online asynchronous classes,、um, just to show what Canvas looked like. 
and got a ton of private messages like, oh, can you show me more? You know, that sort of thing. And about two hours later, I got a call from the Faculty Development Center in IT at Cal State Fullerton saying, we need you. And so that summer, I taught 10 one-week-long sessions. Every week, I would get between 35 and 50 new faculty. They would spend two to four hours a day with me. And we were learning, how do you teach online effectively? How do you teach potentially on Zoom effectively? How do you use Zoom? How do you use Canvas? So it was a really weird intersection for Cal State Fullerton because on top of having to learn a new modality of teaching for most instructors, they were also learning a new LMS. So thinking about your time that summer and working with the professors, what do you think was the biggest challenge for them teaching online for the first time? Oh, um, for a lot of people, it was the tech. We had a fair number of faculty who, you know, they, they could do email and they, that sort of thing. But beyond that, had really never done much with their computers before. And so I think just the amount of prep time and then learning all those new tools was really challenging. What were some other challenges that professors faced going remote? And did you hear anything about a work-life balance? I think... The majority of faculty, just we do this because we love students. Um, And when the pandemic hit, I think everyone, the universities and colleges and faculty, were very understanding that students were completely disrupted in their life. And so a lot of effort was made by the schools and the faculty that I know, at least, to really help those students. And in some ways, the focus was so much on the students that a lot of faculty, I think, suffered I talked to a lot of faculty that felt like they were just giving so much that their quality of life was kind of deteriorating. So on top of having to kind of shift all of their coursework, which was a huge lift, they also have this new thing where they're just accessible all the time. Rupert understands some of the complaints students have about remote classes, like how impersonal they can be. I want my students to know it's me and not some Canvas computer. And so one of the things that I spent a lot of time teaching faculty that summer was how to give themselves an online presence so that your students know that, you know, I'm Kelly Rupert. I'm not just a random geology person. And she's found ways to keep students involved so that they're not as tempted to check their phones. The way that I ran my class, it was just very interactive and fun. Like, so every 20 minutes, we're shifting gears. We're doing a yoga stretch. We're sharing a fun fact about our life. Someone's playing their guitar and singing a song, like just to break up uh, the monotony of just sitting on for two and a half hours on Zoom. You almost run it like some kind of Broadway show, right? It's exhausting, but also the students stayed engaged. They did well with the material, and my attendance was great. Rupert says that there have been some benefits of remote instruction for faculty as well. I think about this a lot because so many faculty want to continue to teach remotely. So there must be a reason why, right? So on a personal level, just not having to commute, I feel like I've gotten years of my life back. And then I feel like the other, one of the other big advantages of this has been just a rejuvenation in people's interest in learning good teaching methods and new tools and kind of taking a step back in their classes and say, okay, you know, I've been teaching the class for 10 years, but maybe it's time to refresh the materials and, and think about from the ground up how I want to present this. What do you think this will do to the way that college classes are taught moving forward? Yeah, so I have two big thoughts on this. The first one is simple, so we'll start there. 
I think that the modalities being offered is going to continue to be more diverse than what we saw in the past. You know, a hybrid versus fully face-to-face versus asynchronous online. A lot of faculty and students have expressed interest in continuing on with some of those things. So I think we're going to see that being offered. And and that's for better or for worse. And I say that because I feel that uh, faculty and students sometimes are choosing options for them that are not the best for them, really. It's just best for their schedule. So that kind of scares me. It takes a certain type of student to thrive in an asynchronous online environment. And I'm seeing students make the choice to continue in that modality when it's really not best for their learning. And then the second thing, kind of an offshoot of this, I feel like the pandemic hit at the same time that diversity, equity, and inclusion was really becoming a hot topic um, and continued to with things that happened during the summer of 2020 and into 2021. Um, And it's interesting to me because both of those things, teaching remotely or these different modalities and DEI, in my opinion, their core is in having solid teaching practices to have and understand what tools and things to use for different students that come from different backgrounds. Um, And so I'm hopeful to see that going forward. So what will the post-COVID university look like? From what we heard in this episode, it might have larger or more robust professional programs. It might have expanded remote options to ensure that students with disabilities and other needs have access. And it might have better pedagogy to effectively teach students from all backgrounds in a variety of modalities. This season of Higher Ed Rewired has shown that colleges are rethinking many of the things they do, from admissions and mental health to job preparation and recruitment. And this openness to adapt and reflect will help universities meet the challenges that are on the horizon. Thank you for listening to season three. I hope that you're excited as I am for the next season of Higher Ed Rewired. Higher Ed Rewired is produced by the California State University Office of the Chancellor as part of the CSU's Graduation Initiative 2025. This podcast is made possible in part by the support of the College Futures Foundation. More graduates for a thriving California. Learn more at collegefutures.org. To hear more stories like this, listen at higheredrewired.com or subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts.